We're going to be talking about intercession today as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. As you look up the word intercession in the dictionary, it means to plead on behalf of another. Prayer to God on behalf of another. And I want to look at two different components of intercession today. Not just how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us as believers, but also how the Holy Spirit intercedes through us. Many times we think of that first aspect, but not necessarily the second. Scripture exhorts us in many places to intercede on behalf of others, and actually on behalf of all people. It's pretty specific. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says this, He says, pray in the Spirit at all times, and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan, that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now. Still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. The Apostle Paul says, pray for everyone in all places at all times. And please remember me because I'm in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And pray that I might have boldness, that I might continue to stand up for him and for the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is another such passage. Paul says here, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Powerful words. The power of intercession. Again, not only understanding how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, but how He wants to intercede through us. I'm going to share a small video clip with you, and I want to really do two things in this. Number one, it's a preview of the small group series that we're going to be going through this fall. We're going to be doing a six-week series on identity, and I'm going to be preaching messages on Sunday mornings, And then on midweek, you're going to be watching a video component small group study that complements exactly what I've been talking about. They're completely separate, but they complement one another. And we're going to be exploring what it means in terms of understanding our identity in Jesus Christ. And as we've said so many times, we really want to encourage you to be part of a small group if you're not. Um, There are existing groups that have openings, and then there will be a group that meets here which I will lead that is open to any of you that aren't in a small group and want to come and explore and see what it's about. But that's really the way that we can grow deeper as the body of Christ and get beyond just the superficial conversations that time limits on Sunday morning and we can go beyond that to really know how to pray and intercede for one another. But this clip that I want to show you right now, I've edited it greatly and so I'm going to set it up for you, but it's It's by a guy named Jamie Winship, and he talks about intercession and this idea of understanding God in such a way that the reality of this intimate relationship that we have with God can flow through us and into other people. Jamie was a 
uh, a cop in D.C. for 30 years and had such success as a Christian cop in convicting criminals and getting them to testify and admit to their crimes that the government actually hired him and sent him off to the Middle East to work with terrorists. And now he's finally back in the States and is landed in Seattle and is working out this whole identity thing. But before he went overseas, he was looking for a temporary job before he would go to kind of put into practice some of the things that he was learning about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is not just future-oriented, but it begins right now. And he ended up working for the county in a prison with foreign inmates, teaching them English. And so he's walked in this room with 40 inmates. He didn't picture it like that. He's like, I'm thinking, you know, what is this? And they said, we'll be back in an hour. Good luck. And then they interrupt his teaching to bring in one final guy who comes in shackled head and, and, and foot and the hands and, and looking down because he's heavily drugged and can't talk because he's been given a lot of Thorazine. And he said, what is this? And they said, this guy is so violent and, and horrendous that we have to drug him up. But again, good luck and go on to teach. And so Jamie is saying, how do I communicate the truth of the gospel? How do I communicate the reality of heaven and the hope that Jesus wants to bring in such a way that it not only is something I'm passionate about, but it can flow through me to others? Listen to what he has to say here. There is an experiential resurrection in knowing God. The problem was I didn't know how to communicate that to this guy. So when I was done that first day, I realized, wow, Lord, it's not about just him knowing, it's about me knowing. Like, I don't know a Lord that can reach into that. I don't. I sort of have this intellectual relationship with God that's more based on just my own head knowledge. It's not this deep experiential knowledge that can go down through me and out into this other person who, who, where this guy was from is our enemy, by the way. And so I just asked the Lord, can you show me what to do with this guy? And knowing the word, knowing the spirit of God, there's a, in prayer, there's a knowing of God communicating to us, balanced out in his word and in community. And I had an idea and it was brilliant. It was a brilliant idea. This was the idea. Give him, give him the gospel of Matthew to read in his own language. Boom. Like, why didn't I think of that? And so I just take a Gospel of Matthew and I go in there the next day and he's in there and I just slide it to him and I say, look, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but just take this and read it and just tell me what you think. He leaves. He comes back the next week. No, no chains. He's let in with the regular population and he's communicating openly, brilliantly. And, um, and he said to me, you know, that, what is that you gave me? The, what is it? Matthew it was the gospel of Matthew. He's in a cell of all Muslims. And he said, I read the whole gospel of Matthew. And here's what struck me. Love your enemies. That's what hit me. Love your enemies. What kind of person, Jesus, who is this person that says to love your enemy? And if he can cause me to love my enemies, I will follow him all of my life. And so because he wants to know, is it possible to know how to love your enemies? He took all the drugs that they give him and he would flush them down the toilet instead of taking them so his mind would be clear. 
And he knelt down, he faced the wall when the Muslims in the cell were praying and he put his head down on the floor and he said this. He said, God, I know that to pray to another God is is a sin that, that it's eternity in hell. But I'm already in hell. I can't get any more in hell than I'm in right now. So if there's another way, if Jesus is another way, if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, I want him. And he said, he knew the minute he said it, Jesus was the truth. He could feel it in every part of his body and he just came alive. I love that. This experiential knowledge of God that gives us the ability to reach into dark places and to communicate realities that we've experienced through the Holy Spirit. And God is able to intercede through us into the lives of others. That's what we want to talk about today. I shared with you some time ago uh, an N.T. Wright quote when we were talking about the resurrection and I was sharing that book that he wrote called Surprised by Hope where he says, it's really hard to have confidence to share with another person about something that's not a reality in our own life. If something isn't authentic and true with us, it's really hard to communicate that as something that will work for someone else. If I'm struggling with an area of my life and I'm defeated and I feel beat up and condemned and guilty, I'm not going to have any confidence to say that God can help you in this area if I'm not experiencing that victory. And it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, but it means that God wants us to experience deeply and intimately the very things that he wants us to be sharing with other people, the victories. I told you years ago that Probably the one singular day that I learned how to pray, that I really learned what intercession was all about, was a summer in the early 80s when my family was at Hume Lake, my my family of origin, my two brothers and my mom and dad and I. And we had just got like ice cream sandwiches at the snack shop there at the Hume store. And my mom came over to the car and she was shaking. She was weeping. She was bright red. And she said, I need to get to the nurse at the nurse's station. So we took her over there. They took her blood pressure, and it was like 240 over 120, and her heartbeat was over 100. And the nurse said, if I were to stick a pin in you, you'd bleed to death. And she said to my, my dad, you need to get her down the hill to Fresno Hospital as fast as you can. And so my dad raced down the hill in our VW van with my mom, and I was left with my two younger brothers who were seven, eight years younger than me. I think I was kind of a freshman in high school at the time. And this was before cell phones. We had absolutely no communication with my dad. He got home with my mom at two in the morning, and it turned out that she was experiencing the onset of adult diabetes, and that was the cause of all this. But the whole time we thought, we're going to lose our mom. And for the first time in my life, I had to pray and intercede in a way that I had never done on behalf of another person because I had never been to that point where I was pleading desperately with God for someone's life to be saved. And God taught me what it meant to intercede and his spirit met me in the midst of that. as I was trying to console my brothers and lift my mom up and as I would run out of the ability to articulate things as, as Scripture would come to its limit in my mind, the Holy Spirit would kick in and just pray through me. 
And I learned that day what intercession was all about. And I want to look with you at Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 18. We looked at Romans 8 last week. We're going a little bit further in the text to Romans 8, 18 today. As Paul talks about this idea of, of intercessory prayer. And I want to read it in, in, in its totality so we can see the context without just picking out individual verses. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. And this is what Paul says. Romans 8, verse 18. He says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that God will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up until the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in this, because the Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit prays for us, with, heart, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. I want to just make four simple points today that come out of this passage. There's an outline for you in the bulletin with the simple fill-ins there. You can take notes if you want. But the first thing that I see in this text today is that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and for me is because we don't know the future. We don't know the future. We examine this fact when we study the book of James in the last year where James said in chapter 4, of his letter, verse 13, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and stay there a year and we'll do business there and make a profit. And James says, how do you know what your life will even be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. James says, how presumptuous to think that you're even going to get up tomorrow and breathe, much less go and travel and conduct business You can't presume that the future, that next week or a month or a year from now, is entitled to you, apart from God's sovereign will. And so he says we need to understand that. And the Holy Spirit understands that you and I don't see the future. We often pray for things that had we known what was going to happen in a few days or weeks or months, we would have prayed completely differently. And the Holy Spirit obviously has the advantage 
and the perspective of knowing eternity, past, present, and future, and prays with that knowledge for us, and how blessed we are because of that. We live in this tension between the here and now and the not yet. The here and now and the not yet, between the suffering and the trials and the pain that we experience right now, and the future glory and perfection that we eagerly anticipate and look forward to. And we're caught in this earthly body, struggling with the things that we struggle, not understanding that eternal perspective, but knowing that God has promised us glory and perfection and completion in Him. And while we know, because of the Bible, how the story ends, we know the glorious conclusion of all of life and all of history, we don't know the specific events that lead up to the end. And that's what causes us anxiety and worry. Like, I know, God, you're going to be victorious in the end. I know we're going to reign with you. But I'm not quite sure how we get there. And so we, we, we worry, we obsess. And thank God the Holy Spirit knows the future. How consoling and comforting and encouraging that the omniscient, all-knowing Spirit of God prays for us and on our behalf with that eternal perspective, knowing all things and knowing the future, and securing God's best for me and for you. The second thing that I see is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us because we don't know what's best. We don't know what's best for ourselves or for other people. We think we know what's best, but we really don't. And he, Paul says that in verse 26. He says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. We have many weaknesses and deficiencies, and, and part of this is that we have trouble communicating with God, with a supernatural being who lives outside of time and space. And it's not that we don't know what to pray, because... Jesus gave us the model in the Gospels of, of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we know the what to pray. It's that we struggle with the how. How does that model of prayer? How do those words relate to the specific crisis or problem that I'm dealing with right now? And that's where the struggle comes. That's where the tension comes. And truthfully, as I said, we don't know what's best for us. And a big part of that is related to point number one. We don't know the future. And so many times we ask for things that would be harmful for us or that would not be beneficial we don't know God's will for our own life, not to mention for other people, and we ask things that aren't in accordance with what He is doing and wants. We struggle to consistently know the will of God. But there's hope for us because point number three, the Spirit knows the will of God. The Spirit knows the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for us because we don't know the future, because we don't know what's best for us, and the Spirit intercedes for us because the Spirit knows the mind and the will of God. Verse 27. 
And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. The Spirit knows the mind and the will of God. I, I thought of this illustration today, and I, uh, this week, and I was trying to figure out how to illustrate it, and it, it has to do with biology, and so I turned to the internet for answers, and what anyone does who wants sound, you know, deep insight, you go to Google and Wikipedia, right, you know? And I was thinking, you know, what is that system in the body that relays messages and stuff? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the neurons. And we have in our bodies what are called peripheral neurons. And they're of two types, sensory neurons and motor neurons. The sensory neurons take information around us and inside of us uh, from the sense organs, and they relay that to the brain and to the spinal cord. And then the motor neurons carry messages from the brain and spinal cord out to the muscles and the glands and all of the cells. And I thought, what a perfect illustration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is aware of everything that's going on in the universe, all the way down to the most minute detail of my life and your life. And the Holy Spirit is that active agent that translates the will and the mind of God into action. There's a seamless intercession that goes on. They don't have to consult with each other because God knows his own thoughts. He knows his own spirit, just like you and I know our own thoughts. And God no quicker thinks something or has an idea in his head and the spirit is carrying it out through the body of Christ, activating and making good on what God wants to see happen. That's the intercession that takes place. The New American Standard version of verse 27 says, And he, meaning God, who searches our hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As I said, this intercession could not be more seamless and quick. The Spirit intercedes for us and for others according to the will of God. I told you years ago about an experience I had uh, interceding in prayer uh, two different occasions when I went to Community Memorial Memorial Hospital. And on both occasions, the person that I was praying for was in a coma. And it's really hard when you're praying for someone in a coma because there's no interaction, you know. So you're praying everything that you can think. You're communicating and lifting up every scripture that comes to mind. And on both occasions, I remember getting ready to leave, and I sensed the Spirit inside of me say, is that it? And and for many years, I kind of took that as like, you know, what, that wasn't good enough? You know, I got nothing more. But as we've been going through this Holy Spirit series, it dawned on me that that is not what the Holy Spirit was communicating at all. The Holy Spirit was communicating to me that He wasn't done. And he had things that he wanted to intercede through me. And both times, I went back to the room and continued to pray, and the Spirit did kick in and take over in ways that are beyond my ability to explain. In powerful experience of God praying and interceding through me, of taking the truths and realities and experiences of my life and pouring uh, into this lifeless you know, person in a coma. And in both cases, the person or the people ended up living by the grace of God. 
And, and no thanks to me. I mean, thousands of people were praying for these people, but it was what God did through me and taught me that was, that was the special thing. The Holy Spirit wants us to trust Him. I thought, you know, when we allow the Holy Spirit to intercede through us, there's perfect representation. Perfect representation. All of my needs are perfectly represented to God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And the mind and the will of God is perfectly represented as the Holy Spirit carries those things out. So everything that I could possibly ask for or want, the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit also knows the mind and the will of God and executes it in that way. Well, all of this leads to the last point. And the last point is simply that the result is always good. The result is always good. We have verse 28, which we quote so often by itself, out of its context. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And yes, that is true. In general, God is always working good out of all circumstances. That's the ability of God. But the context here is specifically related to intercession. And Paul is saying, as you live in the here and now, as you struggle with trials and suffering, and as you anticipate future glory, the Spirit comes alongside of us in our weaknesses, and He articulates our needs in ways that we can't even comprehend and understand. And the Spirit also knows the mind and the will of God, and communicates in a way that's in accordance with that. And the result of all of that is always good. It's always for our benefit. It's always for our enhancement. Beautiful when we consider that in its entirety. You know, the truth is, you and I actually don't have to pray for ourselves and for our own needs. You know, we're encouraged to lift up our needs to God, but really, intercessory prayer is about praying for others because if I really trust God, I know He sees my needs and He's already got them. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 7, What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he won't give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? I was reading Philip Yancey this week, and he was quoting an archbishop that I've never heard of. And I love this quote from this archbishop. He says, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's highest willingness. What a beautiful thought. Prayer is not about me twisting God's arm to do something that he really doesn't want to do. Prayer is me uniting in spirit with God and causing what's happening in heaven to happen on earth. His will, which is taking place there to happen here on earth. The justice that he wants to see happen, happening here on earth. It's me saying amen and yes to what God already wants to make happen. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. It's affirming that his way is best, that his plans are perfect. As we journey through this life, and as we live in the tension of the now and the not yet, as we go through trials and struggles, as we anticipate future glory, 
God says, I see you. I know what you're going through. I'm well aware of it, and my spirit is interceding for you, helping you in ways that you'd never even understand, articulating your needs perfectly, because the spirit knows my will and what I want to see happen. As we close, I want to remind you that not only is the Holy Spirit continually interceding for us, but Scripture says that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. Forty days later, he ascended back to heaven, and Scripture says he stands at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for you and I. One theologian said, if we look at what Jesus did in the 30 years of earthly ministry, really the last three years, which was public ministry, and we consider that he has been standing at the right hand of God the Father for 2,000 years, interceding for you and I, even before we were born, think of the power of that. Think of the power of what's going on in the heavenlies all the time. And Hebrews chapter 7 reminds us of this. It says, there were many priests under the Old Testament sacrificial system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood also lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. For he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. What a beautiful truth. Even the best elected officials and kings and presidents who may honor God and carry out his will, what happens when they die and someone evil comes up? You know, that's the whole history of the Old Testament. A good king who honors God and abandons all the idols and turns the nation back to serving God and then an evil king follows and they go back into idolatry and judgment and this perpetual cycle. But thank God that's not an issue with him because Jesus lives forever. The Holy Spirit, as part of the Holy Trinity, lives forever to intercede for you and I. I want to close today with words found yet even a little further in chapter 8. Paul concludes brings closure to all that we've been talking about today in verse 31 of chapter 8 to the end of the chapter. And this is what he says. If God is for us, who could be against us? God who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather was raised. And who is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. There's that verse. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two quick points of application. What do we do with all this? 
Now that we're armed with this knowledge of the intercession that's going on on our behalf, now that we know, as Jamie said and as Scripture said, that God wants to speak through us powerfully into the lives of others, what do we do with this? I'd say, number one, be bold. Be bold. The Spirit of the living God lives inside of you. If you've received Him as Savior and Lord, He lives and has residence inside of you. And Hebrews 4 reminds us, Jesus, our high priest, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same things that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy, and there we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. God stands ready, interceding for us, saying, come. Come, receive what you need to go out as my ambassadors and to speak hope and love and power to a needy world. The second thing is simple. Have an other's focus. Have an other's focus. So many of our prayers are self-absorbed. They're all about us. And we really don't need to worry about us. God's got us. We are called to intercede for our family. If you're a parent, you know what it's like to intercede for your kids. If you're a grandparent, you know what it means to intercede for your kids and your grandkids. And intercession goes beyond that to our leaders, to our officials, to this church, to our community, lifting them up. Philippians 2, great chapter to read this week. Just kind of meditate on that. Paul says there, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection or compassion, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united on one intent and purpose. And then he goes on, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you consider others as more important than yourself. And then he presents Jesus as the perfect model of that. A great place for you and I to kind of graze this week as we consider what it means to have another's focus and lift other people up before the Lord.